at Luke for a long time. And you're right. <laughs> but uh, we've got longer to go yet still. Amen? Amen. Uh, today, though, is one... Oftentimes, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, since Luke is a Gentile, right? Uh, the, the writer of the Gospel, he was a Gentile. So a lot of the stories in the Gospel of Luke are two Gentiles. Uh, Jesus talking to Gentiles. Jesus talking to people who are not interacting with people who are outside of the Jewish faith, right? Uh, this today is one of those where Jesus is interacting with people of the faith, of Jewish leaders. And so all that to say is that my message here today, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not a Christian, then, then you can just kind of sit back and kind of poke the person next to you who is, uh, because I'm going to be talking to them. Uh, I'm going to be talking specifically to people who claim the name of Christ, who have uh, given their life to Jesus, who have uh, accepted his grace of forgiveness and wanted to, and sought to live into that grace. Uh, so today, the word is for you, as uh, you will see in the message today. Uh, it's one of those that's maybe a little strong, but I'm going to try to temper it with uh, love and grace that the Holy Spirit provides. I'm counting on him to be at work in you and in me, right? Uh, so that nobody's made too uncomfortable, but you know, what, that, a little uncomfortable is good, right? Right? A little, uncom- little uncom- discomfort is kind of makes you squirm a little bit, but it's like, ah, okay, all right, you're, that's right, that's right. Lord, the Spirit, the, the Scripture's true, that's what it's, you know, whatever. So really, if you have a, a comment or a question or a complaint even, you, know, you can send those to uh, John A. <laughs> or you can just get your Bible out and complain to it, uh, because that's where I'm preaching from today, right? Amen. Amen. So let me ha- ask you a question as we get started. How would you describe God in, in one word? What one word would you use to describe God? And this is actual audience participation, your chance. What one word would you use to describe God? Come on. Love. I heard something over here. Awesome. Somebody else? Powerful. Come on. Grace. Forgiveness. Free. Three, three and one, Trinity. Okay, all right, that's good. What else? Patience. Patience. Come on, young man, you had something. I know you told Dad. What was it? What would you? How would you describe God? One word. It's a test in school. How would you describe God in one word? I know it's not completely right, but but how would you do it? Like, what would you say? Powerful. Man, yeah, that's a good one, right? Yeah, so, so we all had these different words, and uh, you, know, you could think of God, but there's no one word you could use to describe God, right? Like you couldn't describe all of God in one, it's just impossible, because he's all of these things that you described, right? And if God is huge and powerful and big and almighty and, and loving and, and forgiving and full of grace and uh, you know, all these words that you all had, which are all correct, right? If God is all those things... If he's all of these attributes and others that we didn't think of, right? If, if, this is, if God is this kind of God, then why does he treat the world the way he does? Why does God treat the world the way he treats, he seems to treat the world? Why doesn't God do something about the spot we're in? Why doesn't he? Why doesn't God come down and solve some of the problems that we see on the nightly news? I mean, the crime, the inflation, I mean, all the bad stuff that we see, you know. Like, why didn't God come down and fix it once and for all? COVID, done. Why doesn't he? 
Maybe. But, but if, God, if he could, like, why doesn't he, though? Right? Like, there's got to be timing is one of those. There's got to be some other reason why he doesn't. Timing would be one of those. Right? But so there's, because he can't, we believe that he can, but he doesn't. So there has to be another explanation. He, he doesn't, I mean, I mean, he understands all these things, right? He understands that people in the Saharan Africa are starving to death right now as we speak because there's a, a, a drought there. It's been going on for months and years. He, we, he knows that there are people dying there of starvation. He knows that, that muscular dystrophy, right, that all the telethons used to be on TV all about, it still exists. It's not been solved. There are people who still deal with that on a daily basis. Leukemia, COVID, he knows these things are here, but, but he doesn't, doesn't he have compassion on those folks? Don't we think he has compassion on them? I, I believe he does. I mean, should we wait until someone else has a telethon to raise money to, to cure whatever the next ailment is? Is that what we're waiting for? Or is there something else? Who is this guy? And why doesn't he do something? been a question for the ages, right? I think people, normal people, right, who we live next to, who we work with, who, we, who we're friends with, we're in book clubs with, everything else, right? Not evil people, but, but regular old non-Christian folk, right? I think some of them have a, have a difficulty taking the step to surrender in faith to Christ, right, to give their life to Jesus, is because there's a sense for them, that in order to believe that God can heal, that God will forgive, that God will give me life eternal, if I'm going to say that, then at the same time I'm saying, that, but he doesn't do it for everybody. I'm saying that I want that for me, but I'm walking away from everybody else at the same time. There's a part of them that is offended that they desire to know God, yet at the same time, they're not going to condemn the rest of the world. Because for, for a lot of people, that's what it means to say, I, Jesus loves me. Is that I'm, I'm attesting the truth, the fact that Jesus loves me. Yes, indeed. But it seems like he doesn't love anybody else or a whole bunch of other people. And that's what they wrestle with. They want the relationship that God offers, and yet it's so hard to say, I have it when you look around and see everybody that doesn't seem to. This dilemma has been real for, again, for a long time. Luke chapter 15, I believe, addresses this dilemma. Luke 15 is the, is the one that we go to that explains this. It speaks right to the situations that we've been doing the Circle Maker series for the last several weeks where, where we've been praying for people, for situations, right? Some people who walked away from their faith, some people who have no faith at all, but we've been praying that God would, would work in their lives in some way that they would come to know Jesus and, and, and have their lives transformed. We've, some of you have been praying for that. Some of you have been praying for situations that are desperate for God to work. You've been circling it, and I encourage you to continue to do that. And Luke 15 is going to speak right to it. So we see how how God is at work. We see the picture of God working from God's perspective. We see salvation in Luke chapter 15 from God's point of view. Not from ours, not from the ones who receive it, but from the one who's offering it. 
And that's what I think makes Luke chapter 15 fantastic. Fantastic. Normally when we, we hear of parables in the scriptures, they, they have to be explained for us to get. Luke chapter 15 is a, is a parable. We think of it as three parables, but it's actually one parable. Uh, and in that, it is uh, crystal clear. It's easy to see what the parable is about. And yet, at the same time, even though we see what exactly the parable is about, we oftentimes we, we get stuck on the obvious and we miss what's kind of there that, because what's obvious is so rich that we forget what's also there. So today we're going to kind of peel back the onion a little bit, just a little. There's a lot more in here than what we're able to get into today. But I just want us to see, things, see this very familiar text from maybe a different point of view that we might learn something from. All right? So we're going to jump right in. Four things that are for us to see clearly in this story in Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners. That should be one word. They were all sinners, right? They were all the, the, those people, right? It was those people. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered to themselves, this man, this Jesus, he welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. Can you believe it? Why would Jesus do such a thing? Well, it's, it's, it's what you do if you were Jesus. It's just what you would do if you were Jesus. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was calling his disciples, right, he, would, he was asked this very question, this very thing, why are you spending time with those folks? When he called Matthew, who was a tax collector, to come and follow me, he went to Matthew's house, right, surrounded by him. Everybody knew that tax collectors and sinners needed the Lord. Absolutely. Nobody denied that. Their lives, though, were an offense to God. Their lives were an offense to God. And, and, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were offended that Jesus wasn't offended. Like everybody ought to be offended by them. Because it's so opposed to the, way, the will of God. How could you? How could he sit and eat with those folks? Jesus understood, you see, that the first move had to be by God. That he had to make the first move. And that shocked and amazed everyone. Shocked and amazed everyone that Jesus would do such a thing. But if you were Jesus, it's obviously what you would do. Then he told them this parable. In verse 3, 4, he says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he says, Hey, come, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. What's going on here? Jesus is just reminding us, right? And we can see it plain as day in the text, that, that this is obviously exactly what you would do if you had a, a, a sheep or lamb a goat wandering away. You'd go and get it. You'd just go get it, right? That's what we do when we, we have things that we, are important, like we were talking about with the, moot, with the video, right? If we, if we know where it is, we just go get it. If we left it behind somewhere, we just go get it. Jesus describes in this parable three different ways of degrees, three different lostness categories, I guess you might think of. In this one, 
Jesus is using a common illustration of being a sheep. My experience, thanks to Sherry, is a goat, right? Uh, <clears throat> the goats, they don't, they don't tend to get lost, but the other day it happened. Uh, I was feeding our horse, or one of our horses, and it has to be fed in grain, and, you know, I take the bucket out, and I, I leave it out there, and, and the horse has uh, got its head in the bucket, and the goat comes along, one of the goats, Sherry's goat, of course, be Sherry's goat. <laughs> Sherry's goat Winston comes and he sticks his head right in the goat and the horse just stands there like, what? Like, you think this is yours? And he's like going to town, right? I mean, he's got the head, in the head in the bucket. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't care what's going on. I leave him out there. I leave. I just walk off. And the other goat is right there with us, you know, being all cute and bouncy and running around. And, and, but the other one is out in the pasture, head in the bucket. He doesn't know. He's oblivious to anything. Then all of a sudden, he takes his head up and he looks around and he doesn't see anybody. And you would have thought he'd been shot. He was screaming. He was, ah, where's everybody? Ah, where's everybody? You know, he was like, oh my goodness, this has gotten, oh, where is it? And what, and for, yeah, exactly like that. And he just takes off running. He's like, I don't even know where I am, but I'm just going to run. <laughs> and eventually he finds his way back. I mean, it's hilarious to watch him realize that he's lost, right? But he, before he, thought to just run away, right? He's out there just screaming, I'm lost, I'm lost. That's what the sheep do, right? They, they just, how a sheep gets lost or how a goat gets lost is he just eats his way to being lost. He just goes from here to there to there to there to there. And before they know it, it's like, where am I? I don't even know how to get back because I don't know where I am. And what do they do? They start to scream. And the shepherd hears their cries and comes and gets them. One way we get lost, we find ourselves out in the far country, is one nibble at a time. We find ourselves away from God, one little nibble at a time. Maybe that's happened to you. Continuing in the parable, <clears throat> suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one of them. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. Sorry, I was reading and not reading up here. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What's Jesus doing? What's Jesus, how's he describing this woman? He's describing her as doing exactly what you would do if you lost something that was valuable, right? You would do no different. Something that's very valuable to you, you lose it, you're, you're going to look for it, right? The commentaries that I read describe this not as a bag of coins and one fell out, but more like a, a necklace or a headband that had, uh, and you may be seen these if you've seen a lot of movies where they have Middle Eastern folk, they have all the jewels around the headband or on their necklace, and, and one of the coins had fallen off. And she was desperate to find it because that was what she had, right? Before, um, many years ago, when I, when I moved to Maryland, I went to work with my, fam my wife's family, and they were jewelers. And we would hear people come into the store all the time to bring in the, like, like really expensive jewelry in like a Ziploc bag. And they'd say, I think I found it all, but I'm not sure. You know, and they would just, they would, they would be treasuring it so much that it, it went in the garbage disposal or it got caught around something and it broke or whatever, whatever the story was, right, that they were, they had searched all over and found it. Of course, I kind of chuckled because I knew what that was like because 
it, almost daily that I'd be back in the back in, our, in the shop and, and I would drop something, right? A little bitty diamond the size of a, bigger than a grain of sand. And you finish and you look at the ring and you're like, oh, that's missing. Where's that? Right? And so you're sweeping the floor, you're, you're, you're cleaning everything because it, it, who knows where it went? Cleaned that office I don't know how many times to, to find the smallest little thing that was missing. I knew what it meant to crawl around looking for something that, that was of great value. And it had to be found. I knew it was there. And so I can just imagine this lady sweeping the floors and, and gathering everything until she finds the thing that they got caught on something and all the pieces went rolling away. Comparing this to people, maybe, maybe it's that we choose the wrong people to be around. We hang out in the wrong places. We make wrong choices, right? And somehow we get tangled up in things that we never thought we would, only to find ourselves broken and lost. I never thought he'd get this far. I never thought that would happen. We never thought we'd get lost as a result of indifference, or carelessness, or neglect. And yet, that's the image that's here that Jesus paints. But what's the response when the thing is found? It's the same. The response is the same. I know when I lost a diamond that I would search and search and search for, when I found it, I'd go out front and tell everybody. I didn't have a party, right? But I'd tell everybody in the store, I found it. I've been back there crawling around on my hands and knees for the last hour, but I got it. I was ecstatic. I was excited. Just as she was. And just how God says he is, when one sinner comes to him. This, the parable continues in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. And this one you're familiar, already you're probably already familiar with it, right? It doesn't matter what you read, any, any newspaper, any magazine article, any, you watch a movie, and they use two words and you immediately go to this text in your mind. Whenever anybody says the prodigal, you're like, oh, yeah, I know that story, right? Oh, yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. It's this story. This is it. The man had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So dad divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together with all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to, into his fields to feed pigs already right here if you're a jewish hearer of the story you're like oh not only is he like wait not only did he disrespect his father but now he's like okay i i'm out i can't deal with this guy this guy is offensive absolutely feeding pigs because they were unclean you weren't even supposed to touch them and here this cat is feeding them verse 16 he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave. He was going to eat their food, but he couldn't even eat their food. He was lower than the pigs. Oh, who cares about this guy? Right? They're probably already like, what? Nobody cares about this dude. He longed to fill his stomach, he said. When he came to his senses, though, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's not the end of the parable, though. That's, that's how we often put the end and just go on after that. But the parable continues. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came near the house. He heard music and dancing. He smelled the roast beef. He's like, man, somebody's having a party. He called one of the servants and said, what is going on at the house? Your brother's come home, they told him. Ah, your father has killed the fattened calf because he was back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed one of your orders. You, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I couldn't have any parties with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered everything with prostitutes comes back to you, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you have always been with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. What, how else would you react to a lost child who came home, right? Would you respond any differently if a rebellious son or daughter came home? No, right? A loving parent would, would race out to greet him in the street and hug him. As soon as they saw him, they'd be... Oh, so glad you came home, right? These, these stories sound obvious, that obviously God would do that. Obviously God would do that. So what's, what's, what's under all this that we need to really understand? What is Jesus really saying? What's this, who's this parable to? I believe this parable is to the, the Pharisees who were there. It was, it's not to everyone else who's listening, not to the tax collectors and the sinners who were gathered. It's specifically for the Pharisees. But we see three things in this. Three things that I believe we, as the church, today need to get our hands around, our minds around. I would even say our hearts around. The first one is the heart of God. The heart of God is on display in this parable. See, every time that which was lost was found, what happened? There was joy. There was a party. The celebration. Every time. That shows us what, we, what we've already had a glimpse of, we have an idea of from Scripture, is that God's desire is to seek and save those that are lost. That's his desire. But each one of them was found in a different way, though. Did you notice that? Each one of them was found, was, was made found from being lost in a different way. The sheep were pursued. The coin was searched for. But the boy was waited on. The boy was waited on. That's very different 
I'd venture to say, why? Because that's the question. Well, why, did, why didn't he go out and get him? This is, this is simply to show us that God's heart wants one thing, and that is our heart. God wants our hearts. This is a struggle of every parent, right? How much to control your kids? Anybody, any parent here ever struggle with that? How tight should I be with the reins on my kids, right? Because if I know that if I tighten down the screws too much, I know what's going to happen is they're just going to, they're going to be miserable and they're going to make my life miserable, <laughs> right? They're just going to, they're going to be, it's going to be terrible. They're going to rebel. And what happens if I don't exercise any control at all? Well, we fear what would happen if we exercise no control at all, right? They have no direction in life. They just kind of, they're going to be laying on my couch until they're 35, 50, 60, playing video games, right? I've got to have some sort of a standard for them that, that says, no, 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 it's time, to, it's time to go. Come on, let's get up and out, right? Eventually, eventually we need them to move on. It's the struggle of every parent is how much control to exert. You see, the sheep are naturally drawn to the things that God provides. The sheep are naturally they're just they're going to eat the grass. They're going to move whenever the grass moves. They're moving with it. But we, the, the heart of man is different. We take the blessings of God and we make them about us instead of about him. We make them about us. That's what the son did. He made all the things that the father provided all for him and for no one else. Now, the father could have done what maybe some of us experienced in life, either as parents or as children. Because you know, dad had servants, he could sit and go find that boy of mine and bring him back, right? It, we wanted to do that before, right? Go get him. I don't care what it takes, but you drag him back here by the skin of his teeth if it takes it. But you get him back in this house. And so servants go, and they find the boy out there in the, in the pigs, and the, he sees them coming. He's like, oh, Lord, comes my dad's guys. And they say, come here, boy. And they snatch him by his collar, and they start dragging him. He's kicking and screaming, and he's going back. He's like, no, leave me. I want to stay. I don't want to go back. I don't know. He gets back to Dad's house, and Dad says, sit in that chair, boy. Let me tell you something. Sits down, and he's not even breathing. He's red. His neck's turning red. The boy I'm speaking of, his ears are red. And Dad says, listen, I'm going to tell you what's what. But first, I want you to go in your room in the back of the house. I want you to sit in your room. Until I come and get you, and while you're in there, you're going to sit there and you're going to think about everything you've done. And you're going to see how wrong you were. Now, if you had experience with this as I did, you know what happened. Is that you went into your room, and you sat on your bed, obediently, and you sat there and you thought, Wow, my dad is smart. He knew exactly what was wrong with me. He knew ex No! That's not how y'all responded. Don't look at me like, oh, yeah, that's what. No, we didn't do that. We went into our room, and we sat there on the bed, and we thought, you know, dang it, if he'd have just left me there three more weeks, I was almost there. I would have turned that into, I would have had the greatest pig business. If he'd have just left me alone, everything would be better. But no, he's got to be in charge, so he drags me back here. Isn't that what we did? That's what I did. Right? I was still in rebellion. God waits. God says the father who loved his son waited patiently for the rebellion to run its course. And then when he turned, he was there waiting. The father was there waiting for that rebellion to kind of burn itself out. 
Because God knows. He created us. He knows our greatest need. He knows your greatest need. It's, we all have the same one. It's love. We've all got the same need. Love is it. We need to receive it, and we need to give it. But, but it's, it's reciprocal. It's voluntary. It's voluntary. It can't be forced. You can't stick a tube in your arm and just pump me full of love. Doesn't work like that, right? Doesn't come that way. Love is powerful. So powerful that it's the one voluntary response that, that can bring joy in the midst of slavery. Love. Poets, they try to get their pen wrapped around it. Musicians try to get notes to describe it. Right? Everybody wants to, wants, wants to understand this thing called love. It's tremendous. You can't force it on anyone, and you can't force it from anyone. There's nothing like it. There's, it's so powerful that, that when you extend it and it's rejected, the pain that's caused by it is never forgotten. Right? You know what it was like. You can probably still feel it, that person who rejected your love. Even though it's been years and you've kind of forgotten about it, it's still there though. still kind of irritates you. But she didn't know what she was giving up. Or he didn't know, you know what I'm saying. Like, like that's, that's kind of the, the, because it hurt. We put it out there and it wasn't reciprocated. In all the languages of the world, the English language included, the ugliest words, the most obscene words, are the opposite of love. Are the, op- the, the words that describe acts that are opposite of love. There's nothing else that can be more obscene than forcing oneself upon another. The acts of rape, abuse. The ugliest acts that humans can, can, can put upon anyone else. Because they violate the difference that we have between animals and coins, and humanity. God will not do to the human race, right, that offense. God will not do that to us. He's bigger than us. He's more powerful than us. So he allows room, God allows allows room in our hearts for rebellion because that's the same space that is reserved for love that we have to deal with. That's the second thing that we need to see in these parables is the consequences of rebellion, that they are real. In Luke 15, verse 32, we just read, the dad said to the the older son, remember, he said, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours is dead and is alive again. He's dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. You know, we, we often spiritualize this and we think oh they're just they're just wandering away from the faith and they're just they're just figuring things out no they're dead spiritually they're dead eternally like that's that's a huge death is the consequence of being outside of a relationship with god you wonder why the world's in such a mess because people are living outside of a relationship with god we have lived outside of a relationship with god in our past pray you're not anymore but there are probably some here today who are living outside of a relationship with God 
And I want to just say that that leads to one place, death. It's always been that way. That's why when, when things that were found were once lost, they weren't just misplaced. They were gone. And that's why the celebration occurred when they were found. I don't know if you remember King David, the king of Israel, probably the greatest king of Israel. Uh, he, as he got more powerful, he began to take a lot of things for granted. And one year when he sent his men out to fight in wars, he stayed back home. And while he was there, he fell for, one of the, wi- for the wife of one of his commanders. It eventually led to him having that commander killed, murder. He was confronted by one of his most trusted advisors about this thing that he did, about having this man killed. And the, the advisor had called him out for it. And David said to Nathan, the, the advi- his friend, he said, I have sinned against the Lord, admitting what he had done. And Nathan replied to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. The Lord has forgiven you. You're not going to die. He said, but because of, by doing this, you have shown contempt for God, your son will die. There was still a consequence. There was still going to be a consequence for the behavior that God had done, that David had done. Rebellion against God is sin, and sin always has consequences. We cannot avoid them. We can't deny them. It's just as unavoidable as death and taxes. We wonder why our world is so messed up. It's because of sin. But that's where the mission of Jesus comes in. This whole parable is about explaining to us why Jesus came. John 3.16, you, prob- you may have it memorized. If not, watch a football game later today. They'll have it on there, right? Somebody in the background will have, it, have a sign. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's why Jesus came, that people who were dying, people who were dead, would live forever. And when we experience this transformation, this salvation, when, when you and I experienced it, something happened. Something dramatic happened. You were transformed. You were once lost, but now you are found. You were transformed into a new person. Paul, the apostle, he described his transformation in 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, which is what we've been talking about, right? And then Paul said this. He says, of whom I'm the very worst. Paul said, that's, 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 that's who I was. I was the worst of sinners, and he came and died for me because I was separated from God. There was nothing I could do, he says, but Jesus did it for me. It's the heart of God. It's to draw us back into relationship with him so that we, so there would be joy again in our life, so that wouldn't we lost and separated, frustrated with how everything is going against us. No. I, I was listening to a podcast recently, um, and there was some econom- economist on there. I, I read books, and I listen to podcasts. I don't really listen to music, so it's just who I am, for what it's worth. Uh, this podcast is pretty interesting called Freakonomics, and I was listening to it, and uh, the, the guy was describing how, he, what he said was that, is that the universe is, is secretly bringing about your success. And the guy interviewing him said, where did you come up with such a crazy idea as that? He said, well, I'm a, I'm, I guess I'm what you would call a devout Christian. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, I believe 
that God's grace is at work in this world, and he is drawing us to himself. He said that the universe, everything in the world, is drawing us to God if we will just notice it. I believe that to be true. I believe that to be true. That God doesn't want us to be lost. He wants us to be found. So we understand that the heart of God is to find the the consequences of rebellion. And finally, what I think this parable is all about, and I'll get through it quick, is who Jesus is talking to, and that is to the Pharisees, the simple fact of the effect of spiritual selfishness. The older brother was the point of the story. That Jesus was talking to these Pharisees. Jesus said, some people, some of these people here I'm, I'm with are like the lost sheep. They just wandered too far from God. And they're, now they're lost. But I didn't give up on them. He said, some of these people are like lost coins. That I had to seek them out. I had to get down and get dirty and dig around and find them. But I didn't give up on them. He said, others here were like my prodigal son who I had to wait patiently for until their rebellion had burned out in their heart and they were able to turn in desperation and see me there all along, where I'd been all along. He then painted for them a picture of, a, of the faithful brother, the older brother, who was the Pharisee in the story, right? The father wanted to celebrate the return of the one who was lost, but the elder brother, he couldn't do that because he was offended because the father wasn't offended. Because of all the offense of the younger son. Right? See how it's all connected? I think back to a similar story of Jonah in the Old Testament. If you remember the story, Jonah had been called by God to go to the Ninevites and tell them to re- call them to repent. But instead, because Jonah hated those Ninevites, he hated them with a passion, those people. And he would not go to them at all. So he went the other way. He got a boat going the other direction. Got out in the boat, the, the, God blew up a storm, and then Jonah said, it's my fault, sorry guys, if you get rid of me, this, the seas will calm. So they throw him overboard, the seas calm, a big whale swallows him whole, right? We know the story, spits him out on land, he goes and he finally preaches, he, he repents, he turns, he goes to preach repentance to the Ninevites, and what do they do? They all repent. You would think Jonah would be ready to celebrate, not so fast. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says, But Jonah said, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He got mad at God because God saved. He knew God would save people. Daggone it, I didn't want you saving those people. Jesus gave us another warning in Matthew chapter 20. He tells the story of a a landowner who had a a vineyard, right? And he hired people all day long to work in his vineyard. Came down for pay time at the end of the day. And he started, he lined them up, and he started paying them. The people who were there in the morning got the same as... Got, got what they've been promised. But they were mad because the people who were hired last, just before quitting time, they got paid the same thing. Even though they all agreed to it. They were angry about God's grace. Their heart was hardened against those that they felt had been treated better when they'd all been treated equally. They'd been rescued. They'd been saved. You see, the story is about the pursuing God and about the the son who never needed to be pursued. The story is about the son who never ran away. The story is about the faithful. That's why I say this sermon was for the church. When we fail to appreciate the grace that has been given to us, we become like that older brother. When we fail to appreciate that God's grace had met us right where we were in our desperate need 
we become like that older brother. When we fail to, to partner with God and what he's trying to do in the world, we become like the older brother. Remember how he pursued them, how he searched for them, how he rescued them, how patient he was. That's how God pursues. Just how we need in the moment we need. And he wanted the older brother to be about the father's business. He wanted the older brother to join him in the process, but the older brother wouldn't. He left it up to the older brother to work out his own rebellion. Kind of parable kind of leaves us hanging whether or not the older brother would join the party or not. I think that's the point. It's an invitation to join the work of God, to join in what God is doing here in our community, here in the world. Will we be a part of it? Will we see people as truly dying outside of a relationship with God? Or we just think, ah, they just need to get their act together. Or do they need Jesus? If the solution is Jesus, then are we offering that? I don't mean that we're not here waiting for them to show up. I mean, are we going out searching for them? Are we going out here listening in the woods for the cry so we can go and gather them up, draw them in? He wants us, his church, to be about his business. That's the invitation for us today, is to be about the Father's business. Because this world is surrounded by, is filled with broken, hurting, desperate people who are waiting for somebody who's going to show up and show them a way out. And I believe we're the ones that God has called to do that. We're the only ones that God has called to do that. Amen? I will say this, that uh, it's been made obvious, apparent to me, I didn't know, but uh, in the next several months, our community is going to be in desperate need for uh, child care. That's what I've under, been told to understand it. And I also know that there's some people in our church and our, in our charge that have been praying for a long time that there might be a way that our churches could be in a resource for our community to provide daycare for our kids in our, in our community, to show them Christ and to meet parents of children right where they are, right in their deepest need, their kids. If, if this resonates with you, with how God has wired you, how he's, you feel like he's calling you to, to meet parents in their need, let me know because there's some folks who are praying about this and trying to work out details that would love to have you as part of the group to work it out. Uh, that there are people, there is a next generation who need to be found, uh, who right now are just lost, that need to know that there's a story of hope, a promise of hope, that God wants to answer in their life. Uh, and he's waiting for people like us to be the ones that tell them. So if that's you, please let me know. Uh, I'd love to connect everybody and, and put them on the same page. Let them, give them room to put, get on the same page, all right? Amen. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord, God, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing here. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do with these shoeboxes. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives, how, how you season with grace a pretty difficult passage for us, the church. Lord, show us your way. Show us your way, God. Give us your spirit that we may follow you with everything we've got. Because God, you have saved our marriages. You've saved our lives. For some of us, you've saved our very life. You've blessed us in ways that, that we can't even get our minds around. 
And we want to we use all of you have created us to be for your glory. God, to make a difference here in this community, in this world, that you would get the fame and the glory and the honor and the praise because we love you so much. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen, amen. Are you going to come sing? All right. All right. Amen. Thank you all for being here today.